Freedom House, Central Campus. Awesome to be here with you today. My name's Olin Carter. I serve here on our teaching team. If you're new to Freedom House Church, something that is very special about our church and our pastors is we have this amazing vision of doing everything as a team. And I always like to take a moment, because that's how the, the reason I get to be up here and do what I get to do. I always like to take a moment to honor our senior pastors. Can we give them a hand clap? Pastor Troy and Penny Maxwell for that vision. And actually, during worship, man, the Lord just showed me this picture as we're up here just worshiping. You ever been in church service before and you just feel like, man, everything's just hitting, right? Like God is moving. You just feel it in a different way, right? Like just the worship's amazing. And what the Lord was showing me is all that is, is most of the time in our lives, most of the time in ministry when we're serving God, God's trying to move and we're just getting in the way, right? Can I get amen? Amen or oh me. I get in his way all the time, right? And, and when we feel God move, yesterday, serve day, when we see God just using us, just doing amazing things, it's when we just allow the Holy Spirit to be like the conductor. And he's just playing them. He's just pointing to each one of us. And none of us have an ego. All of us just play our part when he points at us. And when you feel that, that's what, that's what that is. That's just the Holy Spirit moving in us just a little bit getting out of the way. Isn't that good? And you know what? And that's what coming to church is all about. As we learn more about God, we just do that a little bit better. Every week we should learn how to get out of God's way just a little bit more. That he should increase and I should decrease. Amen? Amen. Well, you guys are doing that. I, I was so blessed yesterday to see Serve Day. Just all the things we did across the city was absolutely incredible. Give yourselves a hand for that for coming out, reaching people, absolutely incredible. Before we jump into the word today, I do want to greet our online campus. For those of you who might be new, we have an online campus joining us live right now, people all around the country, sometimes even all around the world. It's incredible. And today we have people from West Virginia, uh, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Vermont, South Carolina, Iowa, Ohio, Indiana, Connecticut, New Jersey, Michigan, Maryland, and Wisconsin. Come on, give it up for them. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. We love you so much. You're a part of this family, and we are so glad you're with us. So we have been in an incredible series, What Does the Bible Say About Fill in the Blank, Right? We've been, we've been covering all kinds of topics. We've talked about feminism. We've talked about the role of women in ministry. We've talked about sin. We've talked about heaven and hell. I mean, we've talked about all these different, these foundational spiritual topics, hot, relevant cultural topics. I mean, we've covered it. And today, I'm gonna dig into something. This is probably the topic. What does the Bible say about salvation? What does the Bible say about salvation. Now, I got to share with you today a couple things just to kind of lay the groundwork. I'm going to move really fast because I got a lot to teach. I got like three messages. I'm trying to put them all up into one. Adam knows what I'm talking about. I got a lot to say. So if you're going to take some notes, man, go ahead and get it ready. Get your Apple notes out, your notepad out, because I mean, I'm going to cover a lot of ground, a lot of scripture. Um, and, and I really want to teach this today, but just fair warning, I got my sweat rag. I might preach myself happy today. I'm just giving you... I'm just giving you a warning in advance. I might go from teaching to preaching. Can y'all follow with me today? You guys are amazing. You're my favorite people to preach to in the world. So you guys get me fired up. So when y'all start amening and just, you know, running around the building, you know, you just, you get me fired up, okay? So don't get mad at me if I just, you know, get a little wound up today. So turning your Bibles, Romans chapter uh, 10, Romans chapter 10, we're gonna start in verse nine. This is a very familiar passage. Um, if you've been in church uh, you probably heard this quoted before. I know we use it a lot. We, we use this scripture, quote the scripture a lot when we're doing our, our invitation, our altar call at the end of a service. Romans chapter 10, verse nine. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, 
everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, this is so amazing. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I get an amen for that? Isn't that good news today? That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter if you're watching online. Doesn't matter if you're in the room. Doesn't matter if you're young. Doesn't matter if you're old. Doesn't matter if you're a man. Doesn't matter if you're a woman. Doesn't matter. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't exclude anybody. Even though people want to exclude people, God doesn't exclude anybody. He says everybody, anybody who comes to me, who believes in me, will be saved. But that word saved, I mean, what does that mean? We got to understand when, when the scripture says saved, what is he talking about? What does that mean to be saved? I mean, if you walked up in the grocery store today and you went up to somebody and you said, hey, can I ask you a question? Are you saved? Most people would look at you like, saved? Saved from what? Is there a flood coming? Like, is there a bear in here? What am I saved from what? Like, what are you, what are you talking about, right? They wouldn't know what you're talking about. Here's the real problem. That's not so much a problem because people in the world, people outside of the kingdom of God, you know, they don't know what that word means, no big deal. But here's the real problem. Many of us in this room don't know what that means. Many Christians don't really have an understanding of what it means to be saved. We've heard some terms. It's one of those things, it's, it's, you know, you know, you, you feel in your heart like I kind of got an idea what it, what it is, but could you explain it to someone else? And here's the thing, we can't share our faith if we don't understand it. If I don't understand why I'm saved, how I'm saved, what I'm saved from, how salvation works, how am I going to explain it, teach it, share it? with somebody else. We're going to cover a few different things today. We're going to cover the why. Why should I be saved? Why should someone turn to God? What's the, the draw? What am I saved from? I mean, why? What's the why behind salvation? We're going to talk about the how. Let's say I understand that I need salvation. What do I do? What's my part? What's God's part? What do I need to do in order to be saved? How does it work? What do I do to be saved? We're also going to cover the what. What happens when I am saved? What happens? Somebody just got saved in the back. Man, you, you get saved, you, you get peace, right? What do I get when I'm saved? What am I saved from? How does that work? Can I mess it up? Can I break it? Can I lose it? How does our salvation work? So we're gonna talk about the why, we're gonna talk about the how, we're gonna talk about the what. I wanna start out today with the why. Why? Why should we be saved? How do I share my faith with somebody else in a way that's gonna be compelling to them so that they want to receive Jesus as their Savior? Why? What's the why behind it? If you're taking notes today, write this down. The why, the, the, when we come to Jesus, the thing that draws us to Jesus Christ is when the bad news meets the good news. Everybody say, when the bad news meets the good news. If I'm walking a, a, along the road and I see a ladder on the ground, no big deal, right? We've been having our house painted. There's been ladders left in our backyard. A ladder's a ladder. I mean, you see, you don't want to trip over it, but other than that, no big deal, right? It's a ladder. But you realize you're in a pit. All of a sudden, a ladder gets you real excited. When I realize I'm in a pit and I see a ladder, I'm like, whoo come on, baby. I, there's a ladder in here. Somebody put a ladder. Because now I know I can get out of the pit. Too many times we want to give all the good news, but we never want to mention the bad news. We think people don't need to know they're a sinner. People don't need to know they're a sinner. They, they, they know that intrinsically. I don't have to tell them. Nobody needs to tell people they're a sinner. I've been guilty of this. I've even preached this before. You don't need to tell people they're a sinner. People know they're a sinner. Listen to me. Listen to me. No, they don't. In this day and age, no, they don't. They think those other people are sinners. People in prison, they're sinners. Murderers, rapists, they're sinners. I'm a good person. I just make some mistakes. So people need to know, and the why behind salvation, the thing that's going to prompt people is when the bad news meets the good news. The gospel is shocking. The gospel's not, it's not vanilla. It's not just, you know, oh, the Lord loves you. And that's not shocking. The gospel is shocking. When you really 
get the gospel, when you hear the gospel for the first time, it will mess you up. The gospel is shocking. The gospel is counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense because we're trained from birth that everything in this life works by performance. Is this not true? You're taught if you do well, you get rewarded. You behave, you get a cookie. You don't, you're gonna get the belt. At least that's when I was growing up. Nobody hits their kids anymore. Listen, let me tell you something. That's why the world's jacked up. Come on. Beat them youngins. Beat them good. My mama would tell me, listen, boy, I got this switch. I'm gonna whip you till you cry or you bleed. She, my mama, everybody thinks my mama's sweet. Let me tell you, don't cross my mama. She will wear you out. <laughs> she would jump on you. I don't even remember where I'm at now. I got talking about beating kids. Where are my kids at? Bring, bring me my kids. Sometimes you just need to, right? Like it's just, it's, what I do, mom, is Thursday. You know, it's just like, it's, it's your due, right? It's just time. It's just time. All right, let's dial back in. I'm sorry. The gospel's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't go with the flow of your job, your family, your upbringing. It doesn't make sense. Jesus just loves me because I just, he does. Even when I sin, even when I mess up, he just loves me. And the gospel, listen to me, the gospel is offensive. Because somewhere in sharing the, the true gospel, you're gonna have to tell somebody, you're a sinner. You're a sinner in need of a savior. Listen, I'm one too, but you're a sinner. And people don't wanna hear that. It's offensive. And I've seen the gospel presented poorly. And when the gospel is presented poorly, people can consider it comfortably. They can hear it. Oh, God loves you. You should come to church. Jesus was a good guy. And they're just like, yeah, maybe. And then they can just walk away and they can consider it. They can mull it over. Let me, I'll consider that. Maybe he is. I, maybe I'll check it out. But when it is presented clearly, it demands a decision. It demands a decision. Now, this doesn't require harshness. It requires clarity and simplicity. The gospel's not mean. It's not harsh. You don't have to be, you know, I always make fun of the Baptist deacons because that's just where I, the church I grew up in. But you don't have to be that old guy going, you sinner dog. You know, you don't have to stick the finger at anybody. You don't have to be harsh, but you do have to be clear. It needs to be simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. It's not complex. You don't need a PhD. No, you need to present it boldly. You need to present it clearly with simplicity. A commitment to the pure message of the cross will always be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do three things, convict, convince, and captivate. I believe that people typically fall into one of three groups and the Lord moves on our heart through the simple, clear message of the gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit to do a few things. He convicts, he convinces, and he captivates. The gospel will convict you. The gospel convicts people typically when they're all kind of messed up, but they don't know what they need. They're a sinner. Maybe they don't know they're a sinner. They haven't wrestled with the reality of their sin. That was my story. We see it in Acts chapter 2 of the Bible example is Peter preaching the first evangelistic message. What does Peter say? He gets up boldly and he preaches to this group in Jerusalem and he says, Listen, let, me, let me tell you what's happened. Jesus is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one that has been prophesied about and you killed him. That's offensive. He said, you killed him. And what does the Bible say happens to those people? It said, and they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They were convicted. That was my story. I was in church, a lot of people in church, but they've never been convicted. They've never realized. I come into church, my, uh, this, this new pastor had taken over, man. He was just just amazing man of God, just preaching the gospel. But I'll never forget it. I've shared it before, my testimony. Um, I, I thought I was a Christian. If you'd have asked me, I would have said I was a Christian. But I come into the church, they're singing this song, Can He Still Feel the Nails Every Time I Fail? 
Does he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. And in that moment, I didn't need some preacher to lead me in a formula prayer. I didn't need anybody else. I ran out of that church. I ran up onto this hill. I got in this swing set, bawled my eyes out, and just cried out to God, God, I don't want to hurt you anymore. I was convicted because the first time I saw Jesus on the cross and I realized it was my sin that put him there. I was convicted. The gospel convicts. The other thing the gospel does is it convinces. There are a lot of people, and and they know they're missing something spiritual. They're looking for God. They just don't know where to find him. And the gospel convinces. These are people of other religions. These are Muslims and Hindus and Mormons and people that they're really trying to find God. They just don't understand. We see this in Acts chapter 8. There's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading Isaiah. And the Bible says, Philip comes along and he says, man, can you help me out with this? You're a Jew. This is your prophecy. Help me out. What is this thing talking about? Is this prophet talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? And Philip, seizing the moment, jumps into the chariot with this this Ethiopian eunuch and he begins to share the truth about Jesus. He said, let me show you who you're looking for. Isaiah is talking about another, and he has come. And let me tell you what he's done. The Ethiopian got so excited, they were traveling along this road, and he saw a pool of water, and he says, man, is there any reason? I can't be baptized right now. And Philip said, no, man, let's do it. And they jump out, and Philip baptizes the man. He's saved, he's baptized. Why? Because he was convinced. The gospel will convince people. The last one is captivated. The gospel will captivate people. Who's that group? These are the people that we see rising up, growing in our country, in our world today. These are the people that are angry at God. They're anti-God. They're anti-Jesus. They're anti-church. They're anti-religion. We see this in Acts chapter 9. There was this man named Saul. And Saul was about as anti-Jesus as you can get because he wasn't just posting mean tweets He wasn't just posting something on Instagram. No, he was rounding up Christians and having them murdered. That's pretty anti-church, amen? That's that's anti, about as anti as you can get. And sometimes people are so angry at God, you're never gonna convince them and they're never gonna be convicted. God has to knock them off their horse. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has to show up and do something special. So Paul's going down the road to kill some more Christians. What does God do? God just shows up and the gospel captivates Paul. Jesus says, why are you you persecuting me? Saul is knocked to the ground. God takes his sight. He's blinded. Question that. And there's a lot of people in the world today that, listen, you and I are never going to convince them. We have to pray and see a demonstration of the power of God. Because the gospel will convict, the gospel will convince, and Finally, the gospel will captivate. Why is this so important? Because salvation only comes one way. It's a simple, simple math equation. It's the gospel message. Jesus died for your sins. He was risen from the grave and he is Lord. It's a simple message combined with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way people can be saved. There's no other way. There's no catechism. There's no formula. There's no class you come and attend. There's no other formula that will get you there. No, it's the simple gospel message combined with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the one-two punch of salvation. And what does that look like? It means when I am saved and somebody asks me, man, why are you saved? I heard the gospel. I heard the truth. Somebody told me the message and the Holy Spirit drew me. The Holy Spirit pulled on my heart. That's the why. That is the why. You've probably heard this expression before, share the gospel and use words if necessary. Anybody ever heard that? It's a cute bumper sticker. But it's not biblical. Because no one gets saved without words. (laughs) Share the gospel. Use words if necessary. Words will be necessary 100% of the time. There's never going to be a time somebody's going to fall on their knees and pray and receive Jesus because you're a nice person. Because you have integrity. 
because you have a fish symbol on your car, because you bought them lunch. Now, those things are good. We need to do those things to get people to ask us about our faith. We need to be the light. We need to be kind. We need to be a role model of what Jesus wants us to be in the world, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. We need to do those things, but at some point, you're gonna have to explain to them what's in the book. You're gonna have to tell them what happened. Let me tell you what happened. This man named Jesus came. He was the son of God. He died for you because you're a sinner. You've messed up. So have I. And let me tell you this gospel message. Most Christians are fishing with all bait and no hook. All bait, no hook. Man, we're, we're giving everything. We only feed the poor. Let's do this. Let's be kind to everyone. But there's no hook, there's no gospel, there's no Jesus in it, and there's churches all over the city doing all kind of outreach projects, which is wonderful, but they never tell anybody about Jesus. They never crack their Bible one time. We can't be guilty of that. When we go fishing, we gotta have the bait, but we gotta have the hook. We gotta draw people in with our love, with what we do, but then we've gotta be able to tell them We've got to understand what salvation means. We've got to be able to, and it's so simple. It's so simple. So that's the why. Let's move on to the how. Once we're convicted, once we're convinced, once we're captivated by the simple message of the gospel, how do we receive it? It's a gift, right? We hear that. It's a free gift of grace, but many people that attend church, it would call themselves a Christian. They don't know how to receive it. If, if, if I were to ask you today, have you ever led someone in a prayer of salvation? Have you, do you know how to walk through somebody through that? A lot of Christians would say, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't know what to do. It's so simple. Remember Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. We believe and we confess Jesus as Lord. We believe and we confess. Now, what does confession mean? Does it mean I just repeat some words? Because unfortunately, that's what many people have done. They've been told, hey, just repeat after me. They've never mixed their faith with the true confession of who Jesus is. They just repeated the words. That's what I did when I was a kid. I was so scared. Again, my loving, kind mom scared the living daylights out of me with the lake of fire. I came running up front one Sunday. Just tell me what to do. I'll say the words like, I want the fire insurance, man. I don't want to go to the lake of fire. Who wants to go to a lake of fire? Like, I don't want that. So give me the other thing, right? But I had never been convicted. I didn't really know who Jesus was. I wasn't really saved. And so in order to be saved, in order to receive salvation, I've got to believe and I've got to confess. Now that word confess in the Greek is homologio. What it means is to say the same thing, to agree. So when you confess Jesus as your Lord, you have to confess him as he is confessed in the scripture. You gotta believe in the right Jesus. It's gotta be that he was born of a virgin, that he came, he died on the cross, he rose again, that he is Lord. Like you have to agree with what the Bible teaches. You can't believe and confess some Jesus that never existed. Did that make sense? And so when I hear the true gospel, I mix my faith with that message. So I hear it, I believe it, I confess it. The Bible says, promise you will be saved. Now, this is the question I get from people all the time. What if I don't believe enough? I want to believe. I've heard the message. But what if I don't believe enough? Let me encourage you today. Don't have faith in your faith. Have faith in God. Don't have faith in your faith. Have faith in God. Imagine for a moment that you walked up to a cliff and somebody ran and pushed you off. You're falling hundreds and hundreds of feet. No chance of survival, right? You're gonna die. You're falling hundreds. I mean, you see the ground coming. You're, you're panicking. You're freaking out. You look around and you see a branch. Now, you don't know if that branch will save you, right? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. You don't know how long that thing's been there. You don't know the root system of the branch. You just see a branch. You think maybe you have just a little bit of faith, just enough faith to reach out and grab the branch, but the branch is strong. You grab that branch, boom. Oh, can you imagine? Whoo, you're breathing easy, right? You're like, thank God. They're sending a rope down. I mean, like, 
the helicopter's there. I mean, like, you're saved, right? Like, you're gonna make it. You're gonna see another day, man. Like, whoo. Now, was it the branch that saved you or was it your faith in the branch? It wasn't your faith that saved you. You just had a little bit of faith. It was the strength of the branch. Your faith allowed you to receive the salvation the branch offered you. And let me tell you, Jesus is the branch. The branch is strong. When you grab hold of the branch of Jesus, listen, the Bible says you need just a little bit of faith, just a mustard seed of faith, just a tiny bit of faith. Man, if you just grab the branch, man, he will in no way let you down. Jesus is strong. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. See, we get that twisted sometimes because we think we're saved by our faith, but we're not. The Bible says we're saved by grace. God saves us. I don't save myself by believing. I receive his salvation by believing. It's God that does the saving. Who's the savior? Jesus, right? Isn't Jesus the savior? Well, then why am I putting the weight on myself to save myself through my faith? Because I'm not the savior. He's the branch. I've just got to grab the branch. It says it's not a result of works, verse nine. There's nothing I can do to earn it, to keep it, to be good enough for it. So that why? No one can boast. No one's going to get before God and say, man, I'm here because let me tell you what I did, God. And nobody's going to do that. He says, so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship. He's the one. It says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saves us by his grace and we receive it through our faith. Grace is God reaching a hand down to save us, to pull us out. And faith is us simply reaching up and taking his hand. It's how we receive the goodness of God. And repentance is the fruit. Now, I want to cover this just, just quickly because sometimes people get these things confused because when you go through the New Testament, sometimes people in these stories would cry out to Paul, to Peter, and they would say, they're cut to the heart, and they would say, what do we need to do? Tell me what to do to be saved. And sometimes they would say believe, and sometimes they would say repent. So which one is it? Do I need to repent or do I need to believe? Here's the truth. And people argue about this, and it's the dumbest argument in the world. Because repentance and faith are just two sides of the same coin. They're not different things. They're not at odds. Because here's the thing. You won't repent unless you believe. You won't repent truly, totally, unless you believe. Repentance is walking one way and turning and walking the other way. And so I'm walking in my sin. I'm walking in my own way of living my life. And repentance is an action. I'm going to turn and I'm going to walk the other way. You won't do that unless you believe. You can't repent. You will never repent unless you believe. And you can't believe without repenting. When you believe in Jesus, it will cause you to repent. And so once we're convicted, convinced, captivated by the gospel, we turn to God, we believe, and we confess. We confess the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the gospel story, the one who came, who died, who rose again. He was born of a virgin. He is Lord. We believe it, and then we confess it. Jesus is my Lord. And when we do that, the Bible promises that we will be saved. Now let's move on to the what. We're going to end with the what today. What do I get? What happens? How does salvation work? Many of us, we, we kind of have this knowing, this peace that we're saved, but what does it mean? What does salvation mean? What do I get from it? What is my obligation in it? What, how does it work? I wanna teach you today through three simple thoughts, and these are taught very clearly in scripture. And I want you to say this with me today. Number one, say, we are saved. Say, we are being saved. Say, we will be saved. Now, when you think about this, it's going to help you. When you understand this, it's going to help you walk through and have peace of what you have, what God is doing, and what is coming, okay? And this is where people get messed up, so follow with me here again. I'm going to cover a lot of scriptures, write these things down. Number one, we are saved. If you've done what we've just talked about, you've grabbed the branch, 
listen to me, you can say confidently, I am saved. The Spirit will bear witness with you. You can have assurance. You can have peace. You don't have to say, well, I think maybe if I'm a good person one day, I might. No, you can say, I am saved. You can claim it is something that happens. This is called justification. Anybody ever heard that term before? Justification. Think of it this way. Justification just as if I'd never done it. You are totally and completely forgiven the moment you grab the branch. The moment you put your faith in Jesus and confess him as Lord, you are saved. You are justified. Your sins are gone. It's a change of position. You're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says that God translates you into the kingdom of light. In a moment, the Bible says, you are made a new creation in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? You've got it. In a moment, you are saved. It's a change of position. In that moment, God stops holding our sins against us. When we are saved, God no longer is gonna hold your sin against you. He's no longer gonna punish you for your sins. We are saved from the penalty of sin. When you are saved, when you say that prayer and you confess Jesus based on that faith in your heart, in that moment, you are saved from the penalty of sin. God is no longer coming after you to bring judgment, to send you to hell, to bring a penalty for your sin. No, God is no longer holding your sins against you. Now, it is good to note there's a difference between penalty and consequence. So the moment you're saved, God is no longer imputing a consequence to your sin, but there could still be a consequence for your sin on this earth. So if I just murdered somebody, I get saved, the next day, I might still go to jail, right? And sometimes I hear Christians, they get frustrated with this. Why are all these things happening to me in my life? Why is God doing this? God ain't doing it. You did it. That's the consequences for your sin. God's not judging you. Those are just the, cons- the natural consequences of your sin. You eat 15 hamburgers, you're going to gain a little bit of weight. God ain't doing it, okay, right? God's not punishing you for eating the hamburgers, amen? That's a consequence. And so we need to understand that justification is a definite act of grace. It happens, Look at Romans chapter five, verse one. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. This right here is where I gotta stay calm because I'll get to preaching. This right here makes me happy, y'all. I'm just gonna tell you right now. We have been justified by faith. What does it say? We have peace with God. Not I'm gonna have. Not one way. I, one day I might get. No, I've got it right now. I've got it. I've got peace with God. Why? Because I have been justified. Because it's done. Because he's forgiven me. Doesn't matter what you think about me. Doesn't matter what the devil accuses me of. Oh, you sinned yesterday. It don't matter. I have been. You messed up. Yeah, but I have been. Yeah, but what's in your mind right now? I have been. I'm forgiven. There's no more sin being imputed to my account. God has forgiven me. I have been justified. So I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained, I've got it now, access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Why? Because we've got it. And as a Christian, listen, if you've mixed your faith With your confession, if you've grabbed hold of the branch, you are saved. You're saved. You've already got it. It is yours. You can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are sealed. God guarantees the result. Imagine buying a house and you list your house. And let's say your house is listed for $500,000. And somebody comes along and they say, I want to buy your house. Here's an offer to buy your house. And you say, well, yeah, but you got to make a deposit, right? And how it works? Because they might put an offer in and not never go through with it, right? And she so said, well, you got to make a deposit. You got to give me a guarantee, right? Like, I'm not going to take my house off the market. I'm not going to change everything. I'm not going to just, you know, take the sign out of the yard just because you say you want to buy my house you got to give me some money. You got to write a check, right? Got to make a deposit. And imagine somebody comes along 
And they say, I wanna buy your $500,000 house. And you say, okay, you gotta make a deposit. And they said, okay, no problem, here's a check. It's for a million dollars. Just deposit it. You'd be like, well, the, the house is only half, half a million. Why are you giving me a million? I just wanna bless you. I want you to be sure I'm gonna follow through. I'm just gonna give you a check right now for a million. In fact, give me the check, let me rip it up. Here's one for 10 million. Would you take their offer? God says, take the sign out of the yard. You're mine. Change how you live. Change how you think. I'm gonna send you to heaven. And he says, and here's the deposit I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you a deposit of heaven. I'm gonna give you a down payment right now that's worth more than anything in this world. I'm gonna fill you with my Holy Spirit right now so you can be sure. You can take the sun out of the yard. Look at Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Man, isn't God good? He says, man, I want you to take the sun out of the yard. I want you to be mine. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna give you the greatest down payment in the history of the world. I'm gonna fill you with my Holy Spirit. And you can know. You can have assurance. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you can know. He says, I don't want you to be in doubt. I don't want you to be questioning. Am I saved? I think I'm saved. I feel saved. I said the prayer. The pastor said I'm saved. I don't know. Maybe I'm saved. No, he says, so that you can know. He wants you to have assurance, which leads us to probably the biggest question of all the questions. Can I lose my salvation? Can I lose it? Can I tell you? Wrong question. It's, it's the most, one of the most common questions in all of Christianity, and can I just tell you? It's the wrong question. Can I lose my salvation? Number one, your salvation's not your spiritual car keys. You're not gonna misplace it. You're not gonna accidentally leave it at home. You're not gonna lose your salvation. The, the better question is, is my salvation secure? That's the question. And God says, I promise to complete the work that I've started. So is my salvation secure? You bet it is. He gave us a down payment called the Holy Spirit. So my salvation, I can know, I can have assurance that my salvation's gonna be completed. Now here's the thing, both sides of the spiritual, the theological debate will say, if you live your whole life and you never show any fruits of repentance, so you live a sinful life, you never change, you never show any fruit of repentance, both sides of the coin will say that you're not gonna go to heaven. They just explain it differently. People that are more Calvinistic, your Baptists, your Presbyterians, they'll say, well, you were never really saved. If you never showed any fruit of repentance, if there was never any change in your heart, you never changed the way you lived, there was never anything, any result of it, then you were never really saved. And the Armenian side of it, the, the church of God, assemblies of God, different denominations like that, they'll say, no, you were saved, but you lost it. Can I tell you, the truth is right in the middle. You can't lose your salvation because how did you get saved? By believing, right? So I love the way Pastor Troy explains this, so simple. How'd you get saved? By believing, keep believing. Just keep believing. Keep believing and you'll keep being saved. <laughs> You're not gonna lose your salvation by committing a sin because you didn't gain your salvation by stopping a sin. And so how did you receive Christ? By believing, just keep believing. Just keep believing. Now here's the thing, the scripture gives us warnings that if we continue in sin, we continue to reject God, we could harden ourselves to a point where one day, maybe I would willingly reject God and walk away from our salvation. Now, I'm not smart enough to know everything about scripture, but that scares the living daylights out of me. Amen? So I take all those scriptures and you know what I do? I go, 
I am not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be the one that hardens my heart to the point where there's any possibility that I would reject Jesus and his goodness. And so does our sin have a consequence? You better believe it does. It will harden your heart. It will distance you from God. And maybe one day it pushes you to a point where you would walk away, you would let go of the branch. Listen, not me. Anybody else in here? I'm never doing that, amen? And so let's just agree together. Sin is bad and I'm running away from it. I don't want my heart hardened. I don't want to put myself in that place. And so understanding justification, it anchors me through the storms of life. I have peace and assurance no matter what comes my way. Why? Because I have a new position. I am saved. The second one is called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. I am being saved. I am being saved. Now, this is the process of saving us from the power of sin. When I'm justified, when I grab the branch, I've been saved from the penalty of sin, but now God is currently saving me from the power of sin. He is setting me free from the influence and the power that sin has in my life. And so I can say confidently that I am saved, but I can also sit here and tell you I'm being saved. Why? Because God is still working on me. And so when the scriptures teach this, look at, with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We don't have to be confused by this because I know I am saved, but I know I'm being saved. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so what? More and more. It's progressive. Every day I should, be, I should be being saved. I should be becoming more like Jesus. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So simple. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification just means being set apart, being made holy. You've been set apart for a holy purpose. God has big purpose for your life. You're special. So he doesn't want you corrupted. He doesn't want you polluted by the world, by sin. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That what? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. And so sanctification is the process of progressive holiness. I get a change in purpose. I get a change in priorities. I get a change in philosophy. The way I think has to change. Well, I was raised that way. Doesn't matter. You got a new boss. Jesus is now Lord. You've acknowledged his lordship. Now you got to change your priorities. You got to change your purpose. You have to change the way you think. You can't think the way you used to think. You're in a different kingdom now. You serve a different Lord. Now I heard Frank Turek say it this way the other day, which I just thought was an amazing illustration. He said, when you think about Israel... When Israel was in the land of Egypt, they were in slavery. Now, I don't know about you. I've, I've been in slavery in my life before. We all at some point have been in slavery to sin. God sends the plagues. You guys know the story, right? We've seen the movies. God sends the plagues. Pharaoh finally has enough. He's like, man, I can't take any more of this. God's gonna kill us all, right? He's like, man, I give up. Let them go. Let them go. Let the people go. Set them free. It took one day to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because they had that slave mentality still in them. And many of us, when we're saved, we grab the branch. I am saved. I've been justified. I've got a new position. Man, God's changed my heart. I've got a new outlook. Man, I am saved. I still got a lot of Egypt left in me. Still got that flesh. I've still got those habits. And so I need to progressively be saved from the power of sin in my everyday life. So I am saved. I am being saved. Understanding sanctification keeps me dependent on Jesus. He is still working on me, in me, through me. Sin, listen, sin is losing. It's losing its power in my life. Man, isn't God good? He saved me. He's still saving me. And he's going to save me. The third one is called glorification. So we've got justification. I've received it. Change of position. Man, I'm not in the kingdom of darkness. I'm in the kingdom of light. I grab the branch. I'm saved. No more penalty of sin. Man, I have been. That's good news, right? 
I've been justified. I'm being sanctified. And one day, I'm going to be glorified. Glorification. One day, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Sin will be gone. The effects of sin will be gone. You'll be able to eat 10 hamburgers and not gain any weight. Praise God. (laughs) Won't have to beat your kids anymore. It's going to be awesome. We'll be totally saved from the very presence of sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, see, that, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, that glorification, that, that, that glorified body, that glorified person that we're going to be. He says, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let me tell you, church. We have no idea of our true inheritance. Man, the goodness of what waits for us. I am saved. I am being saved. But the good part is I will be saved. He's coming back. And there are Christians around the world suffering great persecution, being killed, being separated from their families, all these horrible things. And can I tell you, I've met some of them. They have more joy than the average believer in America who has no real problems to talk about. We go around grumbling all the time about everything and we're healthy and everything's fine and we got a good job and air condition and cars and everything you can imagine. And there are people in other countries being beaten, being killed, and they got more joy. You know why? Because they're focused on the hope. They know they've been justified. Man, they are living in their their, uh, sanctification. I mean, they are pushing into Jesus every day, but they live with the hope and they encourage each other with the hope that they will be glorified. They tell each other every day, hey, doesn't matter, man. Even if they kill us, we're going to heaven. We can't lose. He's coming back. They encourage each other. And when you read the scriptures of the early church, they encouraged each other every day with this hope. They said, we have a blessed hope. Why? Because they knew what was gonna happen. Can I tell you, when you're feeling down, We need to encourage each other with this, that, hey, he's coming back. We're going to be glorified. My back hurts. Yeah, you know, it's going to come a day. You're not going to hurt anymore. And my kids are acting crazy. There's going to come a day. All that sin, all that, it's going to be gone. That day is coming. I like to say when I look at this justification, sanctification, glorification, man, it's good, gooder, and goodest. Man, God just gets better and better and better. He saves us. He sanctifies us. He begins to change who we are. He prepares us for the day when I get a new body. I get to rule and reign with him forever. Man, come on. Isn't God good? This is our salvation. This is our hope. And when we understand it, number one, we should come in this place and just worship God like never before. But when we go out, we should be ready to share this hope with other people to let people know you can be saved. You can be set free. All you got to do, grab the branch. A little bit of faith, just grab the branch. What a simple message. Jesus died for you. He rose again. He is Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for sending your son Jesus. I thank you that we... We can know you. We can have this great salvation. We can be justified. We can be sanctified, set apart for you that you can use us. And God, we know we have a hope that will never be taken away. God, we are going to heaven. You're coming back. We're gonna get glorified bodies. God, we're gonna be in perfect unity with you, with each other. We're gonna rule and reign with you forever. You're so good, God. And God, I just pray today you give each person here a fresh revelation of our inheritance, of what is ours because Jesus paid for it. God, we don't want to leave anything on the table. If Jesus bled, if he died, 
to give me a gift. I want to I wanna have that gift. I want to unwrap the gift. I want to use the gift. God, I, I want to I receive it, God, and I want to share it with others. God, give us that fresh revelation today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Nothing I say, nothing we do matters unless your Holy Spirit is here and draws and does the work. So we invite you now. I'm gonna ask you right now, church, would you just stand on your feet for just a moment? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never acknowledged him, mixed the faith with the confession, you've never acknowledged him as Lord, and you'd like to do that today, you'd like to be assured that you're going to heaven, that you have a relationship with God. If that's you right now, would you just lift your hand up in this place? Just lift your hand up. We're gonna say this prayer together. Amen, amen. Amen, see that hand. Just lift your hand up now. If you're online, we have people to pray with you. There's a button in the chat. We wanna invite you to do this with us right now. And church, let's just pray this together. Simple confession. We're just, we're just agreeing with what God's word says. Say, Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. You rose him up from the grave and I believe he is Lord. I confess him as Lord. I am saved. Thank you for it in Jesus' name.